of who you are. The all-powerful God who died to rescue sinners that were in such rebellion against their Creator. Your grace is awesome. Father, if our hearts are moving away from you today, if today we find ourselves with our backs turned to you, if the enemy has found his mark in our hearts and he has soured our souls, if he has, if he has turned our minds and our passions against you, God, if we have chosen to go our way instead of your way, God, bring us down, bring us to that place of humbleness, of surrender to you, God. You are our everything. We are humbled this morning in your presence. Win. Win our hearts again, God. Spirit of God, would you encourage us? Would you speak to us through your word? It's truth. It's powerful. It penetrates and divides us under soul and spirit joints and marrow. It discerns the thoughts and intents of men. Would you do that for us this morning, God? And would you show us what we need to pursue you, God, and to walk in everything that you have for us? Don't let us waste our lives, God, but to walk with you closely, intimately. So God, speak to us right now. Not just through this worship, but now through your word. In Jesus' name, we ask you, amen. Amen. Great. Well, you may be seated. Children, you are dismissed. Open your Bibles, if you would, to Luke chapter 1. Luke 1. Isn't it awesome when God just overwhelms you with, with a truth, with a reality? Uh, I'm actually going to, I'm not going to be here uh, this coming week, of course, Mike Jeffords is going to be preaching next Sunday morning. Please pray for him. Um, I will be here and preaching the following Friday night um, on the birth of Christ, of course. And just that reality, how many, I mean, I've been through 55 Christmases. Go figure how old I am. And again, God just this morning overwhelmed me with the truth and it's really what I'm going to be preaching on, so I'm not going to speak much about it. But that Jesus, that God himself would become like us 
and that he loved us that much. And, and sometimes I, I think we can hear things over and over and over that we almost become numb to it. May God forbid that we would ever tire of the truth of who Jesus is and why he came to rescue us and redeem us from our sin. Amen, church? And, and if that's the case for any of us this morning, that he would wake us up and that he would, he would fill us again with his joy and we would allow him to overwhelm us with the very simple truth of the gospel. And you, we can never hear that gospel enough. So, yes, maybe a few more people could say amen. <laughs> yes. Um, last week... We had an altar call. I believe that God really ministered to a number of us. Um, there were, a, there were a, a number of people up here. I believe the Spirit of God spoke to uh, a, a number. Um, some shared testimonies with me that really encouraged me. I know that God was moving in our midst. But here's my question to you this morning, that if God moved in your heart, in your soul, and stirred you, and re-impassioned you, envisioned you, empowered you, filled you up as this, this, the topic of the message was, uh, this past week you kind of felt like you were being drained out. And I use the illustration of the sponge and see how quickly that sponge, the water just drains out. And, and the truth is there are certain things that we allow into our lives that, that drain us. And maybe some of you have experienced this. Maybe that wasn't the first time that you came and God just again ministered to you and filled you up. And we saw in the book of Acts how even the apostles and those who were in that upper room, the 120, I'm sure that they were there in Acts 20, uh, excuse me, Acts 4, in which the apostles had been, John and Peter had been persecuted for proclaiming Christ and they came back rejoicing. They, the brothers prayed and it says that the Spirit of God shook the place and that they were all filled with the Spirit. What? That was chapter 2. We're chapter 4. They're filled with the Spirit again. Yes, they are. And I, I am suggesting to us that there is an initial filling and empowering with the Spirit, but we need to walk it in that to the degree that it would be said of us like it was of Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit Always. But I am aware of the truth that even as I'm squeezing this sponge in life's circumstances, sin itself, we feel pressed in about a stress, uh, fears, wanting to do it our way rather than God's way. And we feel this pressure and yet God uses those circumstances to immerse us again if we're willing and to be filled up with his spirit. But this morning, you see, maybe you can say, maybe not. But I have two sponges up here. And this one right here is a little bit of a different sponge. I'm going to immerse this one in the water as well as this one. And I want you to observe something. Well, maybe you can't see it too easily. But one of them runs out of water a lot quicker than the other. Now, for your 411, when I did this earlier, this one actually drained out much quicker than this one here. Now, I don't know about you. I, I, 
I love God. I, I want to be filled with his spirit. I want to be known. I want Mike Curtis to be known as one full of the spirit, not for my own renown, but for his, to see his kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. Amen, church? Is that not your desire as well? But then my question is, how can we do this? How can we be like this sponge that retains the water, that retains the spirit, that learns to walk in the spirit and the fullness of his spirit, and that is constantly filled, rather than the, the sponge that, Honestly, it looks as if it loses its water in seconds. Maybe some of you experienced that. As you went through the week, it was like, wow, by the end of the week, you were drained. And you would have to be honest, I really do not feel full of the Holy Spirit right now. Maybe the sins that you stumbled into, old sins that grabbed you, whatever the case might be, you just felt like the enemy just squeezed everything out of you. And so I don't know about you. I want to know how to walk in the spirit. I want to know how I can be full of the spirit 24-7. Are you with me? Now, is something that I want us to note is that Luke is, he is known as the charismatic evangelist. I don't know if you come across that expression or not, but Luke tends to focus on the work of the spirit speaking about the Spirit at least half again more in his gospel than any other gospel. And of course, he's the one that wrote the book of Acts, and it is all about the work of the Holy Spirit through his people so that they're bold witnesses to the ends of the earth. And miracles happen through Peter's shadows as his shadow would fall on people. People were healed that... Paul himself would bless handkerchiefs, uh, work aprons, sweat, sweat bandanas. And he would have them, since he was working, he would have them placed on those who were sick, those who were demonized. Demons would be cast out. People would be healed. And the Bible called these extraordinary miracles. These are things that happened because the people of God understood this truth that I'm going to be sharing with you this morning. They understood the concept of being filled, but walking in that fullness. And so Luke, he, he, he emphasizes this work of the Spirit. So actually, if you go through the first four chapters of Luke, you see this concept of being filled with the Spirit over and over and over again. In Luke chapter 1, verse 41, Elizabeth, it says, is filled with the Spirit and says, Blessed art thou among women. You remember that one? Um, actually, let me... Uh, it says, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child, you will, the fruit of your womb. And Eve, she says, even when you came in, the child in my womb leapt with joy when you came in and I heard your voice. There's something unusual about this child in me. And it says she was filled with the Spirit. Her husband, Zechariah, when John is born, he's filled with the Spirit and he gives a very powerful prophetic word. In chapter 2, verses 25 to 27, Simeon is in the temple court. Mary and Joseph bring their son to be dedicated, Jesus to be dedicated. And it says that the Holy Spirit had revealed to Simeon that the, the consolation of Israel would be coming before he died. And he was moved by the Holy Spirit into the temple and there he beheld the Son of God. 
in chapter 1, verse 35. It says that the Holy Spirit came upon Mary, overshadowed her, so that what would be born in her would be called the Son of the Most High. As we move to chapter 4, verse 18, Jesus is in Nazareth, and the very passage that he quotes from is Isaiah 61, and it says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me and has anointed me to preach the good news. And it goes on, and, and he, he, he quotes more of the passage there. And he says, Today this passage is fulfilled in your hearing. And Jesus, he wants to communicate, he was anointed by the Spirit to do miracles, to proclaim the gospel. And that's why he is called the Christ, the anointed one. So John emphasizes this work of the Spirit. So as we're going through, and we're going to do this for the month of December, but as we go through these chapters, I want us to look a little closer at this work of the Spirit. And I want to do that this morning as we look specifically at the ministry, or I should say at the enunciate announcement of John's birth. So turn with me, Luke chapter 1, and I'm going to start with verse 11. Zechariah is an elderly gentleman, his wife Elizabeth the same, <coughs> and it's his temple duty. So he has to go into the holy place, not the most holy place. That was allowed only for the high priest on the other side of the curtain. This is the holy place, altar of incense, table of showbread, and the like. And as he comes into that temple, into that holy place, it says, then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. That is their prayer for a son. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you are to give him the name John. He will be a joy and delight to you and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Underline that, that sentence there. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. We're going to come back to that. Many of the people of Israel will be brought, <clears throat> excuse me, will he bring back to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the Spirit and the power of Elijah, underline that phrase, in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And the Lord here is referring to Jesus. John was the precursor to the ministry of Jesus. He was necessary to prepare the people to hear the message of Jesus that he was the son of God come in the flesh that whoever believes in him will not perish but you remember how it goes have everlasting life. And so Luke even in the first chapter speaking of John himself John the Baptist says that he was filled with the spirit even from birth. Now understand John's ministry was unique. In, in a way, we each have this ministry in that we call people to Jesus. And in John 3, we would have to confess with John, I must decrease and he must increase. Okay, and so in this way, we are calling people to Jesus, calling him to the light. He himself, John tells us, was, John the 
the apostle, was not the light, but bore witness to the light, and that light was the light of men, Jesus himself. And so, in a way, we are John the Baptist in our day, but John the Baptist, in his day, had a very unique, special ministry. He was called by Jesus the most powerful man of the Old Testament. Wow. And yet least compared to those in the kingdom of God. That, that's a sermon in itself. But I want you to understand John's ministry was absolutely necessary, powerful, and therefore needing to be filled with the Spirit. But here's something that's so unique. He was filled with the Spirit even from birth. Now, I, I'll be honest with you. I've been thinking on this. How can you be filled with the Spirit even from birth? I don't get it. But there was something in John that was so receptive, even from the womb, that it says he was filled with the Spirit, even from birth. Now, I have to confess, I don't completely understand that. That is the only person in the entire Bible that says that they were filled with the Spirit, even from birth. So I have nothing to compare this with. There's no teaching on it in the New Testament except the concept of being filled with the Spirit and what that means. And Luke does talk about that a lot. But from birth? Wow. I want you now to turn several, excuse me, several verses forward to verse 80. And I want to read that verse to you. Luke 1, verse 80. Here is a baby filled with the Spirit. Verse 80, and the child grew and became strong in spirit. And he lived in the desert until he appeared publicly to Israel. Now, I prefer to use the phrase mighty in spirit rather than strong in spirit. So when I speak of this, I'm going to use the phrase mighty in spirit rather than strong in spirit. I just like that more. It means the same thing. If you'll allow me that. I want to talk about this. What does it mean to be mighty in spirit? Because here's John the Baptist, and he's filled with the spirit, but he became mighty in spirit. I mean, if you're filled with the spirit, aren't you mighty in spirit? Apparently not. Now, do you see this, what I'm getting at here? It says he grew. We can understand that he grew in stature. Jesus grew in stature. Jesus grew in wisdom. Even the Son of God did not know what two plus two was when he was born. He had to learn that, just like all of us. But as John the Baptist grew, he grew in stature, he grew in wisdom, but he also grew mighty in spirit. Now, that doesn't mean that he was mighty in the spirit, mighty in the Holy Spirit, just so you know this. Luke, when he refers to the Holy Spirit, either refers to him as the Spirit or the Holy Spirit, and no other way. So when it says he was mighty in spirit, we must understand that it is John's spirit that becomes mighty. So just follow with me. I, I don't want to get overly philosophical with this, but here is a, here's a, a, a young man who is filled with the Spirit from birth and yet has to grow mighty in spirit. Why? Because of the ministry that he is to have. This concept then that his spirit grew mighty, I want to investigate that because I think therein lies a key to what we're wanting to talk about this morning. 
Go back with me now to chapter 1 in the passage that I read to you this morning in verse 17. We find this concept of the human spirit again, but it's not John's spirit. It's actually Elijah's spirit. This is the prophetic word that the angel gives to Zechariah concerning his son John when he is born. Not only will he be filled with the spirit even from birth, it says in verse 17, and he will go on before the Lord, that is Jesus, preparing Jesus' ministry. He will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah. Now, understand that Elijah's power was completely hinged upon the, the power of God in his life. And I would then have to say the same thing with his spirit. But it's not the Holy Spirit that's referred to here. It's Elijah's spirit. And that there is something about Elijah's spirit. And, and don't, don't miss it. We're, we're not talking about reincarnation here. We're not talking about the second coming of Elijah as if he suddenly appears and morphs into John the Baptist. Or, or the, 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 the spirit of, John, uh, excuse me, of Elijah hovers over him and, and anoints him as the Holy Spirit anointed Jesus. We're not talking about this. This is not Eastern mysticism here. We do need to investigate this concept of Elijah's spirit, but this is the ministry that will be laid upon John the Baptist. He will go on before the Lord in the spirit and in the power of Elijah. I want to unwrap that because herein, I think, lies this key of what it means for us to be mighty in spirit so that when we are filled and immersed again in the spirit that we walk in the fullness of the spirit that if I can put it this way the leakage is minimized that we truly understand and are able to walk in the power of the spirit on a regular basis and we're regularly filled and we don't leak so much Now, if you would, go ahead to 1 Kings, excuse me, 2 Kings chapter 2. 2 Kings chapter 2. Here is the truth that every evangelist that does mass evangelism encounters. That when people walk an altar, many of them backslide. Many of them, though there may well be a life-changing experience, many of them tend not to get plugged into a church. Many of them tend not to walk in the power of the Spirit or the victory that Christ calls us to walk in in the Christian life. Now, I don't see that in the book of Acts. I do see a, a, a massive revival so that 3,000 are saved on the day of Pentecost and form the church. But there is something that happens to those who were saved that day that Acts 2, 42 to 47 talk about. And I've, I've preached on that passage many times. If you don't know what I'm referring to, write that down, look it up, talk, study it later. But the church grew daily as people were added to their number. Daily. And... The truth that evangelists are very well aware of is that 
in relational evangelism, people tend to stay plugged into a church and grow in Christ because of that connection. But when people get saved at an altar or at a mass evangelistic rally, many times there's a moving away, a, a, a draining of the Spirit, if you will. God wants us to be full with the Spirit. God wants us to learn how to be mighty in Spirit. And so as we look here, this is a, an example, this, this is the story in 2 Kings chapter 2 in which Elijah is now the end of his ministry. He's, he's taken up in a, in a fiery chariot to heaven, a whirlwind and a fiery chariot. And Elisha, the one he's been mentoring, discipling, training, is aware of this. And it says in verse, <coughs> excuse me, it says in verse 8, it says, Elijah took his cloak, that's his mantle, that you may have seen books with Elijah and his mantle. We're going to find out why that mantle is so special, symbolic. And he takes the cloak, the mantle, rolled it up and struck the, the water, the Jordan, with it. The water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me, what can I do for you before I am taken from you? Understand that Elijah's ministry, the leading of the, the school of prophets, and now that role to be the main spokesman of the Lord to the king of Israel, and they were wicked kings, now is going to fall to him. What can, I, what can I do for you before I'm taken? Now this is Elijah's response. Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. Let me read that again. Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. Now Elijah responds, you have asked for a difficult thing. Yet, if you see me when I am taken from you, it will be yours. Otherwise not. Does that kind of strike you funny? You know, you got to be here. You have to, here's what you, here's the only thing you got to do. You got to be with me when I'm taken up. And we see this dogged determination on Elisha's part to be with him no matter, oh, stay here. You know, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to cross you. Stay here. No, no, no. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to follow you from town to town, crossing the Jordan, and then finally on the other side of the Jordan. And so here he is now on the other side of the Jordan. The whirlwind with the fiery chariot takes him off. His mantle falls to the ground. Elisha picks it up, rolls it up, strikes the Jordan River. The Jordan River, this is now Elisha, not Elijah. Elisha, he strikes the river, the waters, they part. He walks across. And this is what it says in verse 15. It says, the company of the prophets from Jericho, which was only two miles away and followed him, who were watching said, the spirit of Elijah is resting on Elisha. Now, that gives us a clue that, that somehow right there, that was a demonstration that the spirit that was on, El that the spirit of Elijah 
who I imagine was mighty in spirit and thereby anointed by God's spirit, that now that anointing was upon Elisha. Here's what I want us to see. This idea of the spirit of Elijah that was upon him is a combination of Elijah's spirit in submission to God's spirit and the anointing of God's spirit upon Elijah and now Elisha. Now we know this because they recognized, wow, the power, these awesome, incredible things that Elijah used to do, now Elisha's doing them. It's this transfer of anointing. You may, have, you may be familiar with the concept or the phrase, the mantle of anointing. That's where it comes from here. And it is now resting upon Elisha. But Elisha asks for a double portion of that's of Elijah's spirit. He says, I want to, and here's the key word, I want to inherit. Odd word. He doesn't say, I'd like you to give me. He says, I would like to inherit a double portion. Now, if you were to know this concept of inheritance, it was the firstborn that would receive the double portion of inheritance. And in essence, this is what Elisha is asking for. I want to inherit as the as the, the 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 one with the firstborn birthright. Since I am the one that's now going to be receiving your ministry, I want a double portion, if you will. Now, I'm not saying that he's going to be able to do twice as many miracles. I don't think that's the point. The idea is that he is now the successor, even as the firstborn would be the successor of the lineage of the father. And that's now being transferred to him. But now we, we come back again. So what is the spirit of Elijah? It sounds almost overly mystical. We have already been painted a picture in 1 Kings about Elijah and who he was in the spirit of Elijah. So if you were to look at chapter 17, you can go there, but I'm not going to be reading it because there's some stories I'm just going to be touching on. And they highlight the spirit of Elijah because we need to understand that as Elijah's spirit was in a certain relationship with God, it, was a, it had a certain uh, disposition, posture, if you will, not one of rebellion, but one of submission, etc. That enabled him to be anointed with the power of the spirit and have the ministry that he did. And so when we're talking about the spirit and power of Elijah, we're going to need to understand, yes, it's that anointing of the spirit, but it was Elijah's spirit that was so receptive to this. So I want to look at that receptive spirit of Elijah. We see it first off when he gives the bold word to Ahab, it's not going to rain for three years. Well, I'm not sure he didn't even say that it was how many years it was at that point. He said it's not going to rain. Because of their sin, it's not going to rain. You're going to experience a drought. Ahab hated Elijah because of this curse that he placed upon them. But it was a curse that if you go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, it says that if you persist in your sin, I'm going to send a drought. And, that, and so God was being faithful to his word. It goes all the way actually back to Deuteronomy 28 in the time of Moses. And so he is prophesying you're going to experience a drought. And then God tells him, look, Elijah, I need you to hide in the Kareth ravine. 
because Ahab was going to be looking for him and he wanted to find him and kill him because everything in the land was dying because of this drought. And Ahab felt it was, it was Elijah's fault rather than, of course, his own sin. He was totally immersed in Baal worship, which was completely occultic in its nature. Ahab was the most wicked king of any of Israel. And so Elijah was absolutely obedient, absolutely submissive to the Father's will. Now, here, is, here are ravens. You understand the nature of ravens, right? They're birds of prey. That means they look for dead animals and eat them. They are in that way like vultures. They find dead animals and they eat them. They love roadkill. And this is how Elijah was going to be fed. Woohoo! All right. Now, I don't know. I, I've got a little menu that I stick in my little humorous uh, folder, and it's called Roadkill Cafe. Um, I didn't bring it with me this morning because I didn't want to spend too much time on that, but absolutely humorous. Just to think about <laughs> Elijah wondering, wow. God, where, where did he get this squirrel? Where did he get this rabbit? Where did, where did, how did you provide? Where did this come from? But also remember that God had the ravens that, to my knowledge, don't eat bread, also brought him bread, okay? So God was in control here, but he was told to hide, by the Kareth, hide in the Kareth ravine, and there is this submission, this willingness, this yieldedness. I mean, here's a man, and he's going to hide. I don't know. There's something in a guy that does not want to hide. He wants to confront evil. I mean, Elijah was filled with the power of the Spirit, man. Who's going to stand in my way? Ahab, you come against me? You're not going to be able to overcome God. And yet God said, yeah, I want you to hightail it. I want you to hide. Oh, God, really? Come on. Cause me to stand up there boldly. I mean, let me, let me do something that's manly. No, I want you to hide. Yep, hide. Okay, like for a couple of days, a week? No, hide. And it was probably for well over a year, maybe two years. Ouch. Maybe guys can relate to this a little better than us women. But he, he was humbled and he said, God, I'm going to do as you command. He was willing. Um, You may be reminded of uh, Moses when he hit the rock instead of speaking to it. And he was judged by God that he would not be able to go into the land of promise. And I don't know about you, more than once I have thought, wow, God, that, that punishment seems rather severe. He were, here he is. For 40 years, he dealt with their complaining. At least you could have rewarded him with going in and tasting of the awesome fruits of the land and the, and the just observing what Joshua was going to do. He'd been looking forward to this. Nope, you can only look at it from the other side of the Jordan, from the vantage point of a mountaintop. Why so harsh? Because at that moment, when he did what he did, and he purposely disobeyed God to make this thing, because he was upset with the people, he was, you know, one of these oives. Are we going to do this again with the people complaining? And so he struck the rock twice, made it very dramatic. And God said, I'm sorry, but you dishonored me there. 
And let me just kind of fill in the blanks here, read between the lines. Your heart was not in submission to me. And I need for you to be anointed. And to do that, you must be in complete submission. Your spirit must be yielded to me. You see, when our spirit is fully yielded, surrendered, to God, that's when we are mighty in spirit because that's the spirit, that's the person on whom the spirit of God wants to incubate, wants to come upon and use powerfully as he did Moses, as he did Elijah, as he did Elisha. It's a yielded spirit. You know, 1 Kings chapter 21, 25, you don't have to turn there. But a little commentary is made about Ahab. Now, I don't know if you're familiar too much with the story or not, but we see Ahab, very wicked, and we see Elijah, the prophet of God. And he's powerful, and he, he confronts the evil in Ahab. And in Naboth's vineyard, that whole incident, it gives this little commentary about Ahab. It says that there was no other king who had so sold himself to do what was wrong, to sin, enticed by his wife Jezebel. Here is a man who was sold out to sin, and God sends an anointed prophet whose spirit is totally sold out, yielded to and submitted to God himself. And so in center stage is the most wicked king and center stage is the most yielded prophet of God. For us to be mighty in spirit, our, we must be yielded to God. I want to ask you if there is something when we were praying in the very beginning, uh, I, I talked about maybe a heart that's straying and moving away from the Lord. There is sometimes a rebelliousness that gets in our hearts. There's sometimes this just mindset that I want to do what's wrong. I want to sin. I want to please myself. And if that's you this morning, I'm telling you that is the antithesis of your spirit becoming mighty so that God can anoint you and fill you so that you might be known as one full of the spirit. And so I'm going to suggest to you, if you want to become mighty in spirit, as John the Baptist was, we must be yielded to him. That was, in part, the spirit of Elijah that rested upon Elisha and that now John the Baptist was going to be inheriting. There's also another element of this spirit of Elijah, and that is he now, from the Kareth Ravine, moves on to Zarephath, and he encounters a widow and he actually stays with this widow till the end of the drought. And he receives the word, okay, now go tell Ahab, I'm going to send rain. However, and we, I'm going to get to that in a moment, there's going to be a duel with the 450 prophets of Baal. And while he's in Zarephath, this widow's son dies. And she's hurt. She says, have you as a man of God, a holy man of God, come into my home? And, and she recognizes that she's a sinful creature. And now is God bringing judgment upon me for my sins? And Elijah is crying out to God, heal her son. And her son got sick, grew progressively worse, and then stopped breathing. 
Hello, he's dead. He's dead. And Elijah does some unusual things as a very bold prophet. And it says that, yeah, I lost my place, sorry. And he spreads himself out on him three times. And it says, oh, Lord, my God, let this boy's life return to him. I mean, I've never done something bold such as that. I would venture to say I'm not sure God has led me to do that. But there's certain things that the spirit of Elijah was so yielded that he was bold, he was courageous, that he faced fear, and he always won. 19, well, you could look at that, but even in 19, when he runs, he, realize, he, he comes to that weakness in his life, and God has to renew him, just like we all need to be renewed. The next chapter we read, here he is. Now he is encountering 450 prophets of Baal. Guess what happens to the loser? They die. So it's either the 450 prophets of Baal that are going to die, or it's Elijah himself. And guess who initiates this duel? It's Elijah. Bring it on, Ahab. We're going to see who is truly God. Is Baal God or is Yahweh God? Now, you understand this. You remember the story and the prophets of Baal enchanting and cutting themselves and, you know, all of this. And for, for hours and hours, and there is no response. Maybe he's taking a nap right now. Wake him up. Scream louder. Maybe, you know, he's going for a walk. Or maybe he's on vacation. Call him back. You know, pay his tolls, help them to come, you know, no answer, silence, and he says, okay, guys, you've had your chance, it's God's turn, the real God, and he douses his sacrifice in 12 huge things of water, et cetera, et cetera, and he says, okay, God, if you are the true God, Yahweh, then you answer by fire, and fire from heaven falls, consumes all of the water, consumes the sacrifice, burns it to nothing. And the people chant, shout, Yahweh, he is God. Yahweh, he is God. Yahweh, he is God. Three times. And he takes the 450 prophets of Baal down to the, to the, the valley below, and he has them executed. They had been leading all of Israel astray after other gods. And what a monumental occasion because his spirit was not just yielded but bold and he stared death in the face and he did not flinch. And Jesus says, if you would follow me, deny self, take up your cross, be willing to die for me and follow me. Because God, Jesus, is looking for disciples who are sold out to him, not sold out to sin. Who have the spirit of Elijah and not the spirit of Ahab. Who want to become mighty in spirit so that they would be the prophets in this day and the John the Baptist who are constantly pointing to Jesus and say, I'm going to need to decrease, but Jesus needs to increase. Follow him. This is who we are called to be. We are called to be mighty in spirit. We are called to be those who are yielded in our spirit to God and yet bold and ferocious as a lion. Because we understand who's on our side. When we pray, there is this bold expectancy. Just, just the other night, um, Sarah Joy just had a really 
really hard time with her acid reflux. And she battled it for almost 24 hours, unheard of. Maybe a few hours at night to keep her up, but this was almost 24 hours. And it so exhausted her. Well, Kate and Cooper and Rusty and, and Zach came over, and Rusty was asking about Shine in his own little way. Shine come down, Shine come down. And, and Zach said, well, Shine's not feeling well. Do you want to pray for Shine? And he shook his head. And so he did. Now, this is how Rusty prays. He goes like this. That's, that's how he prays. He makes fists, puts them next to his temples, and that's how he prays. So he's in his high chair. Zach is feeding him, and he says, do you want to pray? Yes. Okay, let's pray. Do you want Daddy to help you pray? And Rusty says, yes. So, he's, so Rusty goes like this, and, and Zach says, dear Jesus. And, and, and Rusty says, dear Jesus. And he says, please help shine. And Rusty says, please help shine. Heal her. And Rusty says, heal her. Amen. And Rusty says, amen. And he looks up, and he, he looks, and he looks to the stairs because he's anticipating, I just prayed for Sarah Joy, and she's going to, wait a second, she didn't come down. And Zach saw this, I didn't catch this, Zach saw his eyes turn to the stairs, and he leaned forward like this, and she wasn't there. I thought, that was awesome. And then a little bit later, he, he said, do you want to pray for Shine again? And she, he wanted to pray for Shine again, and did this. And can I just tell you that even though Shine did not come down the stairs right away, about an hour later, she did come down while he was there, and she was feeling much better. But there was just this awesome childlike faith that, guess what? I just prayed, and I'm expecting now. Now, God doesn't always comply with our timetable, right? And, and he chose for whatever reason not to do that. Though I thought it would be awesome, God, if you did that, wouldn't it? God said, no, that would I'm going to do it a little different way. But she did come down, and she did talk with us, and we told her the story, and it really was a blessing to her. But you know, that's the spirit of Elijah. You know, when I'm praying, God, send fire. I'm going to step back from my sacrifice because it's about to explode with the fire from God, and I'm expecting this. And so he, he prays, and he fully expects for God to answer, and he does. And we see a revival that's beginning, and it was only a flame, a flicker in Elijah's day that he promised would be brought to completion through the ministry of Elisha and that the prophets of Baal through King Jehu would eventually be killed, destroyed, obliterated, really. And God did answer that cry of Elijah's heart for revival. I think we're beginning to stumble across what it means to be mighty in spirit. John's ministry was a powerful ministry. He was bold, he was yielded, and he was anointed by God's Spirit. You know, when you're filled with the Spirit of God, you desire the things of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. When the Spirit of God is in you, you have the mind of Christ. The Spirit of God in you discerns the things of God because we cannot 
There's something in us that yearns and longs for Abba, Father, that cries within us. Those who are mighty in spirit and yielded to God's spirit and filled with God's spirit, full, they desire God. They desire his word and prayer and worship. They desire holiness. And when they encounter sin, there is a quick conviction and there is a longing, God, make this right in me. Why? Because the spirit of God is battling within them against the flesh and making our spirits mighty by us being yielded to him and being able to walk in the authority and power that he offers us. This was the spirit and power of Elijah. This then is what began to grow in John the Baptist so that he became mighty in spirit so that one day that anointing, that mantle that rested upon Elijah would be upon him. I don't know about you. That's what I want in my life. I, I'm tired of the sponge that's immersed and is emptied so quickly. And I want desperately to be filled with God's spirit and that there is virtually no leakage. That God regularly fill me. That I would walk in that rather than the flesh, rather than my own desires, lusts, anger, or anything like that. I want to be yielded to him. The one filled with God's spirit and thereby controlled by God's spirit willingly sacrifices. Desires to grow. Desires to be a bold witness and minister to the body of Christ. Not that you don't have to be a pastor to do any of this that I've mentioned. But when God's spirit is in you, you long for the things of the spirit. If, you are, if the spirit of God is not in us and is not stirring us and drawing us and filling us, that desire for the things of God gets snuffed out. And maybe in some of your lives, the things of God, the desire for the things of God has, has been the process of being snuffed out. I'm going to call you this morning, church, Come to him. Cry out, God, humble my spirit because it's the humble that receive your grace. God, give me a boldness. And when you ask me to do something, I'm going to be obedient. I don't care about the cost. I will face death if necessary. The spirit of the martyrs of Christ. What an awesome testimony. Read Fox's book of martyrs sometime. Uh, awesome testimony after testimony, starting with the apostles on throughout the ages of those who were willing to lay down their lives because they refused to shrink back from death. And they willingly embraced it to be a bold witness for their Savior, Jesus Christ. He laid his life down, which was so far beyond our, the value of ours. It was costly for him. Can I not respond with laying my life down for his? That is the type of disciple, that is the yielded, that is the, the spirit of Elijah and the power of Elijah that this generation today is desperately needing, that I desperately need, and I would suggest to you that you desperately need. So I, wanna, I want you to stand with me right now. I want us to close in prayer. And I want to ask you if there is something in you that is unyielded to him, if there is a dryness, if there is a pushing away of the Lord, if there is a desire, God, you know what? I'm sorry. I want to do it my way. Some of you teens, 
Has God been putting his finger on some things in your life? Maybe using mom and dad. He loves to do that, by the way. Is there, is there a fight? Or is there a yielding? You know, one of the things that I so appreciate about my children, and it wasn't always like this for them, but they have grown into this. And that is, even though there is not a full acknowledgement of, I really think that you have the wisest idea ever, Dad, ever, Mom, they, they said, you know what? I am still going to do that. And they are humble, and they are obedient, and there is something in their heart that is yielded. Can we do that this morning? Can we yield to God right now? Father, I ask you, if there is anything that is stirring in us, that is pulling us from you, that is causing us to keep you at a distance, that's not wanting to be fully given to you, that even though we know what you've called us to, we are too content for halfway obedience, halfway devotion, halfway surrender. If we're clutching to convenience, help us, God, to realize that following you is absolutely inconvenient most of the time. And I'm just asking you, God, please, right now, would you stir your spirit within us? Would deep cry out to deep? Would you call to our innermost spirit, God, to our heart? Would you call to us? If we are moving away, bring us back. If our hearts have become cold or dry or stale <coughs> or weak or, or distraught or discouraged and we are just sitting, we're moping, we're, just, we're, we're focused on ourselves. God, pull us up and set our feet again on the rock of Jesus Christ. Encourage us, Lord God. Infuse us with your faith. Infuse us with this attitude of submission to you and give us that spirit of Elijah, God. And would you anoint us? Would you lay upon our shoulders the mantle of your anointing that you have called us to. And I thank you for the mighty men and women of the past who have been yielded to you, God, who have been bold as lions on your behalf and for your kingdom. I want that, God. I want that. Make that true in me. Make that true in us, God, as we're yielded full of faith and great boldness. It was a set of Stephen, so it may be said of us, a man, a woman, full of faith and full of the Spirit. 
And God, I am asking in this generation that you raise up men and women of God, young men and young women, children even, boys and girls who are mighty in spirit in which, Father, you, you place that mantle upon. And in this generation, God, you would create such a move of your spirit and raise up that generation, that Joshua generation that truly takes the land, that Joshua generation yielded to you and yet bold and that, Father, that as we proclaim Christ, regardless of the cost, we are going to see a move of your spirit unprecedented since the book of Acts. And that is a tall order. That is a high prayer. And I'm asking you, God, do it now in this generation. God, we love you. We submit to you. Do your work. Have your way here in my heart. Help me stop fighting and surrender to you, please, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Pray for us as we are gone. We, give, we have opportunities to minister to family. Um, Pray for Mike as he's going to be preaching next Sunday. Um, and be led by the Lord this Wednesday night as you're going to be caroling, passing out some tracts, sharing with some neighbors, and sharing the good news of a Christ-filled Christmas. God bless you guys.